This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. As you seek to be used by God to further the gospel, uh, God wants to use you to share your faith with other people. And tonight's message, I think, will be a help to that as we uh, kind of unpack uh, some different views of God and what people mean when they say, uh, what they, when they self-identify as far as what they believe. I think that'll be helpful for us tonight. So grab your Bibles, turn to James chapter number two this evening, if you would, James uh, chapter two. I have a typo in my notes. It says James chapter 10. Uh, that's funny. If you're curious as to why that's funny, because there's not a James chapter 10. And so, uh, James chapter 2. We'll start in verse number um, 14, and we'll read down through verse number uh, 20. Entitled tonight's message, More Than Simply Believing. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. Uh, James chapter 2. And again, if you have the Hui Kala app, you can download the notes for the, the message. There's the fill-in notes if you want to use the app. Um, whoever that is, you can tell them I'll call them back when I'm done. Uh, but uh, if you want to download the Hui Kala app, you can, uh, can fill in your notes that way. Uh, or if you just want to take notes, uh, there's a lot of stuff to write down tonight. And so you're going to have to write fast uh, because I promise you I'll talk fast. Uh, but if you want to take notes, you can do that through the uh, Hui Kala app. Uh, James chapter 2, verse number 14. What is a prophet, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works." Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I was reminded as we were singing tonight how great is our God, and I, I, I love that song. Uh, man, especially the part where you the name above all names, worthy of all praise. Uh, my heart shall sing how great is our God. Man, I love, love, love that. I was reminded as we were singing that tonight uh, that Vord had brought a guy to one of, I want to say it's our open house or uh, Easter or something like that uh, a couple years ago. And he brought a guest with him. And after the service, the guy who was not a believer came out and was talking to me on the curb. Really nice guy, uh, really uh, uh, loud uh, personality, loves to talk and talk loud. And you know, he's the type of guy, the first time you meet him, he's like slapping you on the back and grabbing you by the shoulders and stuff like that. And I said, hey, thanks for coming today. Really enjoyed having you. He goes, oh, man, I love the service. It was so much fun. I had so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. He goes, you know what? I really like that song you guys sang today. And I said, which song was that? He goes, the, the How Great Is Our God song. I really like that. And I go, I love it too, man. It, it encourages me every time we sing, we sing it. He goes, no, I just thought it was cool. Like, you guys think, like, your God's better than all the other gods. You know, like, how great is our God? You know, it's almost like, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? <laughs> yeah, that's not what that song means. No, no, no. No, I get it. No, I get it. I get that. Like, how great is our God? You know, our God's better than your God. That's not what it means. And he's just like, yeah. no, I just love that, man. That was awesome. Thanks for that. And he walked down the sidewalk. Okay, I don't think you got it, but uh, amen. Uh, but I thought of that. But then I thought to myself of this verse here. Because as I talked to him before he shared that with me, I asked him, you know, if, if he believed in God. He says, I believe in God, but I believe in everything. You know, uh, I just, uh, do you have a church you normally go to? I don't. I just kind of go where I fit in and wherever I, I kind of flow, wherever I kind of feel stuff. You know, that's, that's where I am. And so when you talk to somebody like that, do you believe that there's a God? Yeah, man, sure. I mean, like, of course. Now, does that person have true faith? We would say no. And, and uh, James here helps us understand that verse number 19 tells us that, hey, you believe that there's a God, congratulations. 
Even the devils, Satan, and all of his demons believe that there's a God. The difference is what we do with that belief. And so uh, tonight, I think tonight will be helpful for you as you understand. If you want to share your faith better, you need to understand how different people view God and the different uh, ways that people can, can look at the idea of God. We'll take a look at that uh, tonight. I think it'll be helpful. Tonight, I told you this morning, a little bit more teaching rather than preaching uh, tonight, but I, I think it'll be helpful to you uh, as we look at tonight. First of all, uh, James tells us in verse number 19 that just believing in God is not enough. It always cracks me up when, uh, depending on how surveys are done, when they survey uh, adults in America, you know, do you believe in God or are you, how, how do you consider yourself a Christian? The majority of people in America, believe it or not, identify themselves as Christian. Now, if you ask them what does that mean, they generally say, I believe in God. And then when you get down to asking, you know, what uh, belief structure do you ad adhere to? Do you consider yourself uh, a born-again Christian and things like that? Most of them don't really have a good answer. And I hope that uh, you would identify yourself as a Bible-believing, born-again Christian if you're going to put a label on something. Uh, I'm a committed Christ follower. Uh, that, that's what I am. But the majority of people would, in America would agree that there is something out there that's bigger than ourselves. We don't, maybe don't, don't really know what to call it. and uh, Maybe it's just a higher power or something along those lines. Uh, and the, the idea of that is that it's not surprising that that's the case. Uh, that uh, believing in a God or that there is a God or is a higher power is not enough to save one from their sins. Uh, because that is just automatically a given that there is a God. Uh, it's, it's such a given uh, that the Bible tells us that Satan and all of his de demons believe that there is a God and believe in Jesus. Look, Satan was eyeball to eyeball with Christ and talked with him in conversation. I think that Satan believes that there was a Jesus. Satan was kicked out of heaven because he rebelled against God and took angels with him who are now his demons. Satan has been eyeball to eyeball with God the Father. I think that Satan would agree that there is a God. And the demons that were cast out of heaven would also agree that there is a God. So a simple belief that there is a God does not make one saved, does not make one a Christian. That just means you agree with the facts. I agree that water is wet congratulations so does everybody else i believe that there uh, is a god congratulations so does everybody else you might say well, wait 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 a minute not everybody believes in that actually they do and we'll take a look at why uh, in just a moment we'll, we'll take a look at it right now how about that because we know that there is a god because god has revealed himself unto all men james tells us here that even the devils believe Everybody believes. Turn your foot over to Romans chapter uh, 1 tonight, if you will. Romans chapter 1, we'll start, uh, oh man, it's all so good. Uh, let's start in verse number 18. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now again, notice here that God's wrath has been revealed against all those that are ungodly who hold the truth and unrighteousness. What does it mean to hold the truth and unrighteousness? It means they know what is true, but they choose to rebel against it. Verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest unto them for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things, verse number 20, this is really important. I would circle, star, underline this in your Bible. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Well, what about those people who don't say they don't believe in God. Verse number 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So whenever I meet someone who claims to be an atheist, I always ask them, when did you stop believing? 
Because the Bible says here that God has clearly revealed himself unto all men so that they're without excuse and that they made up vain imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. So at some point they knew the truth and now they no longer do. We were at uh, McKinley High School a couple of years ago uh, and we were passing out invitations to the, the Bible club that we had or the Christian club. And so the Christian club was meeting in the choir room. We had pizza and stuff like that. And so uh, the kids were, it was kind of the first week of class. And they could sign up for different clubs that they wanted to go to. And so I was standing outside and passing out cards and inviting kids to the uh, Christian club. Hey, man, we got pizza. Come on in here. We'd love to uh, have you hang out with us and stuff like that. And one of the kids walked by and he goes, no, thanks. I'm an atheist. He's like 13 years old. And I said, hey, man, who told you that? He goes, what? Who told you you were an atheist? He was like, my parents. And I said, yeah, I thought so. Why don't you come, come sit with us? And he was like, no, no, that's, that's okay. We don't, our, our family doesn't believe. Okay, as long as you know someone told you you were an atheist, you didn't come up with that on your own. No 13-year-old kid thinks that there is no God. Every person looks around at life and realizes that we didn't get here by accident. And so the idea here is, is that God doesn't believe in atheists. It's not a matter of atheists don't believe in God. God doesn't believe in atheists either because he has clearly revealed himself unto all men. Now, what does this look like? First of all, if you take a look at verse number, um, let's see here, uh, verse number 20. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. First of all, uh, we see that God has revealed himself unto all men through general revelation. General revelation means that God... Everybody knows that God exists based on what they can see through creation. That God's revelation of himself to all humankind through creation. More specifically, general revelation is manifest in physical nature, human nature, in history. In each case, God has disclosed something specific about himself in, in relation to his creation. So that's a dictionary definition of general revelation. I'll give you the paraphrased version. Just look around and you know that we're not here by accident. If you take a look at the human body, the human body fascinates me. Uh, when my daughter's in the hospital, the doctors uh, sometimes spend a little bit of extra time in our room because I'll ask questions. Well, hey, what about this? Hey, what about that? And uh, my daughter, McKeeley, had an uh, infection back in February that uh, caused a blood clot in her uh, carotid, uh, art, no, no, her jugular vein. Her jugular vein actually clotted and closed up. And so if you know anything about the human body, you got the carotid artery that takes stuff to the brain. You got the, the jugular vein, which takes things back to the heart from the brain. And basically that pumps everything to your head. And if one of those gets messed up, you're in trouble. Now, if it's the one, your carotid artery going to your brain and that shuts off, you have a stroke because your brain has no blood going to it and you have a stroke and more than likely you're going to die. Going back to your heart is a little bit different, and so you have blood coming from your brain trying to get back to your heart so it can continue to circulate throughout the body. Hers clotted up, and the, the, the clot had an infection inside of it, so they didn't want to give her blood thinners, which would break up the clot, because then the clot would go throughout the rest of her body. And so they were hoping that the antibiotics would just clear out the infection, would cause the clot to open back up, but here's the thing. The, the, her uh, jugular vein clot didn't open back up. And so I said to the doctor, that sounds like a problem to me. And he says, well, you know, the human body's fascinating because you have an interior and an exterior jugular vein. And her interior is clotted, but her exterior still functions properly. And I go, okay, I'm not a doctor, so help me with this. That sounds like she has 50% blood flow going now. He goes, well, that's the thing. He says the, the human body is so fascinating in the fact that when it clots and loses a pathway one way, it creates what are called collaterals, where it basically creates new paths around the clot so that blood continues to flow. And I said, is that a long-term solution? He goes, oh, absolutely. He said, she can live like that until she's 70 or 80 years old because the body has found a new path. And so when they did a, she was in the, the uh, hospital this past time, they did an ultrasound on her neck and found out that her jugular vein, her interior jugular vein is totally closed off. Like, not ever going to open back up ever again. And again, I'm sitting there saying to the doc, hey, doc, is this a problem? He goes, it's not a problem at all. Fascinating. Now, do we think that two rocks banging together in the middle of the universe created something so complex 
that it can just automatically reroute blood flow to keep the body alive? I don't think so. And I said to him, the human body is so fascinating. He goes, oh, you don't know the half of it. And I was just like, tell me more. <laughs> like, like I, I'm absolutely fascinated by the human body. It's unbelievable. Now, we can say that this happened by accident, or we have to come up with another way that we can say, hey, somebody somewhere made something incredibly, incredibly complex and made it exactly the way that the designer intended. So there's a designer somewhere that's created something. That's what we call general revelation, that this didn't just happen. I don't go out to the garbage can and pick out six different things and throw them in a box and then come back in six months and it's a puppy. <laughs> You'd say, well, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Well, what if we left it there for billions and billions of years? Then it would just be a bunch of junk that we grabbed out of the garbage can. It wouldn't turn into a puppy, ever. And so it's a matter of one of those things, we look at this and we say that is created by someone that's higher than us. We call that general revelation. And again, God has revealed himself unto all people through creation. That's why every civilization in world history has had some type of deity that they ascribe to. Uh, whether it's Indians with a rain god, whether it's the Egyptians with a sun god, somebody somewhere is pulling the strings. This didn't happen by accident. And so that's general revelation. If you're in Romans, go to Romans chapter 2, verse number 14. Again, God has revealed himself to us not only through general revelation, but also uh, through general revelation, through creation, but also through mankind. Romans chapter 2, verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, the, the Gentiles didn't get the Ten Commandments but they do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. In other words, they never got the Ten Commandments, but they still follow the Ten Commandments. God never told the, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, don't kill anybody, but everybody knows that's wrong. God never told the, the Gentiles not to steal, but the Gentiles know it's wrong to steal. God never told the Gentiles not to covet their neighbor's wife, but everybody knows it's wrong to mess around with the neighbor's wife. How did they do that? Verse number 15, which shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile excusing or, accusing or excusing one another. God has written his law upon the hearts of man so that everybody knows right from wrong, good from evil. That right there is proof that there is a God. Now, again, uh, I was talking to a man one time, and he was, it was come, come from a Hispanic culture, and he had mentioned that it was okay in his culture for, for uh, a man, even if he was married, to have multiple girlfriends, and that wasn't frowned upon by culture. And I said, how do the women's process that? He goes, well, they don't like it. <laughs> right. Because while culture might excuse certain types of sin, at the end of the day, everybody knows that it's wrong. And we live in a society today where our culture now wants to excuse sin, but I think all of us sit around and go, wait, something's wrong here. Because God has written his law upon our hearts, and that, again, is part of God's general revelation. Now, is general revelation enough to save us from our sin? And the answer to that is no, it's not. Because again, all of us through general revelation of God's law written upon our hearts, of creation, being able to view that with our own eyeballs, see that there's something outside of this life, outside of this world that is at work, but we don't know what it is and we don't know how to find it. And for that, we need specific revelation. This is God's revelation in scripture of humanity's plight and his plan for salvation. Without scripture, you know that you're wrong, you just don't know how to make it right. Without scripture, you know that you've made somebody angry. You just don't know how to appease them. And again, all we have to do is study through world civilization, world history. And when people feel like they have wronged the gods, they begin to cut themselves. They begin to make sacrifices. They begin to make child sacrifice, human sacrifice. They begin to do everything that they can to appease the gods because they realize that they've wronged a deity somewhere. Now, how do we know who Jehovah God is? How do we know that he had a son? How do we know that his son paid the price for our sin? How do we know that Jesus Christ is always enough? 
That's specific revelation given to us through Scripture. You say, well, what about people who lived before the Bible was completed? I'm glad you asked that question. Turn, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. I know you were thinking it, and I, I'll just ask it for you. Hebrews chapter 1. If you wonder where Hebrews is, it's right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners. Basically, that means that God, at multiple times and in multiple ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Stop. Old Testament, God spoke through prophets. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to go and tell Israel to get their act together or I'm going to send judgment. But Heads up, Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. Isaiah, I want you to go and speak on my behalf. And here's what I want you to tell them. There were always prophets. There were always holy men of God, whether it be uh, Abraham or whether it be Moses or whether it be David that spoke on behalf of God and said, here's what God says. But verse number two says this. So in times past, God spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. Verse number two, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also he made the world. So God spoke in the Old Testament through prophets. God spoken through the New Testament through Christ himself. And so we have at our disposal God's word, spoken through by the prophets and spoken through Christ himself to show us and reveal to us who God is and what he expects from us. The Apostle Paul says, I would have never known that lust was a sin if the Bible hadn't told me not to lust. I wouldn't know that I was wrong unless the Bible told me I was wrong. The law told me I was wrong. Now again, we see that God's written his law upon our hearts so we know that, but we need the Bible to tell us, hey, where did we go wrong and how do we make things right? That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for instruction, and uh, for correction and instruction in righteousness. The Bible is here to tell us where we went wrong and how to make things right. We have to have specific revelation. And this ties in perfectly with what we talked about this morning. This is why we must go to all of the world and preach the gospel because they know that they're wrong. They know that they're in sin. They have no idea how to make it right unless we tell them about Jesus. That's why this is such a big deal. Because otherwise you're just sitting around waiting for your number to be called and hope that you've done enough. If you died today, are you sure you go to heaven? I sure hope so. Man, that's a terrible strategy. Well, when you, you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I don't even know if there is a heaven. Man, to live with such uncertainty, I can't imagine that. But again, God has spoken to us through his word to give us clarity. Now again, you say, well, people, there's some people out there that don't believe in God. And so we'll take a look tonight at some false views of how people view God. The first of those is atheism. Atheism is the idea or the philosophical position that denies the reality of God in theism or other divine beings. So there is no God. There is no higher power. What you see is what you get. And when this life is over, it's just lights out. Just like you turn the lights out whenever you leave a room, that's what your life is like. You were born, so I flipped the lights on, you die, you flip the lights off. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, it's all over. There is no God, there is no supreme being. We're all just a big, huge cosmic accident. And get it while you can, because there's nothing after this life. That would be an atheistic view. And again, God doesn't believe in atheists. Because he's revealed himself unto all people so that they are without excuse. I met with a man several years ago who attended church here, and, and uh, he was coming with his girlfriend. His girlfriend was a Christian, and uh, he was a, a self-proclaimed atheist. <laughs> and I pulled her to the side and said, hey, look, if you're really a Christian, you got no business dating an atheist guy. 
Oh, I'm hoping one of these days he'll be saved. Missionary dating is a terrible strategy. Don't ever do it. Dating this guy, hoping he'll be saved. He came to church and he was, he would sit, he was listening, he was polite, he was kind. Uh, and so he and I uh, went and grabbed lunch one time and everything. I said, hey man, talk to me about, hey, how do we get here? I'm not really sure. I don't really have all the answers. And I believe there's credibility in evolution. And I believe there's credibility in science. And, you know, billions and billions and dinosaurs and all this other stuff. And, and hey, okay. Uh, and so I said, uh, so when did you stop believing? And he sat there for a minute and he goes, how do you know I ever did? Because all of us do. It's ingrained in us to automatically believe that there's something out there when did you stop believing? Come to find out, super sad story. His parents were youth leaders in the church that he grew up in. He grew up and went to church camp the whole nine yards. Uh, and he, would, he said, my parents put on a perfect show at church. They were the model couple at church. When we got in the car, they started cussing. They were fighting. He goes, they never slept in the same room. They hate each other's guts. And uh, when me and my sister left the house, they ended up getting a divorce. And, and that's how I knew that religion was fake. <laughs> And that's why I always tell parents, please understand, duplicity is so quickly sniffed out by your kids. They know when something's not right. And that's why for us, we have a responsibility to show our children what authentic Christianity looks like. And so here's a guy who at 13 years old stopped believing because he saw fake Christianity and thought that religion was just a bunch of baloney and a bunch of stuff for weak-minded people who need something to, to prop them up. It's sad. Because it wasn't always that way. And again, God says he's revealed himself unto all people so that they're without excuse. The second type of falsity of God, and sometimes people think these are the same, but they're way, way different, is agnosticism. Agnosticism is the position that neither affirms belief in God nor denies the existence of God, but instead suspends judgment. And the idea of agnosticism is, well, we can't really know for sure if there is a God or there isn't. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't, but at the end of the day, no one can know, and the, the G-N-O in that comes from the word Gnostic, and the idea of Gnosticism is to, to know with certainty, and so agnostic may, means there's no way that anyone could possibly know. And so it's the idea, again, that, that no one can truly know if there is a God or if there's not, and again, they put them sometimes into categories uh, of the idea of a modest agnostic who merely claims to be unable to decide versus the aggressive agnostic who claims that no one can decide. And so again, some agnostics believe that no one in the world can truly know if there is a God or not, and others would be considered the modest agnostic would say, hey, that's the position that I take. I don't necessarily know if there's a God or not. If you do, that's good for you. But the, uh, again, the aggressive agnostic would say nobody can know. And if you say that you know that there's a God, you're lying because nobody can truly know. The next type of falsity of God is pantheism. Uh, pantheism is the idea that all is God. Uh, pantheism draws no distinction between the creator and the creation. So God is actually the trees. Not the glory of God is seen in trees. God literally is the trees. God is the chair that you sit in. God is the ocean. God are, is the mountains. God is in your puppy dog. I don't know why I'm thinking about puppies tonight. But again, the idea is that God is in everything, and creation is God, and God is creation. Now again, we've got to make sure that we delineate the idea that when we look at a sunset, we're not looking at God, we're looking at the glory of God. Distinction there. It's important that we make that. But pantheism worships the creation rather than the creator, which is exactly what Romans chapter 1 talks about. And so the idea of pantheism, the fact that everything is God and God is everything, again, is a false view of who God is. Now, we're going through these because I want you to understand when you're talking with someone and I say, hey, do you believe that there's a God? And they say, oh, yeah, I believe that God is everywhere. You're like, no way, me too. Me too. You're talking about the omnipresence of God. They're talking about the pantheistic view of God. And so we need to make sure that we identify terms because we're not necessarily talking about the same thing. And so if someone says, hey, I'm, I'm, I really just believe that God is in the rocks. I believe that God is in the grass. I believe that God is in the smell of the ocean. 
you understand we're not talking about the same God here. And so it's important that you and I understand different views of God and we can articulate how we view God. The next type of false view of God is polytheism. It's a belief in and veneration of more than one God or divine being. Now, people have accused Christianity of being polytheistic in the fact that we believe that there is a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we worship three separate gods that could not be further from the truth. We, we view God as one distinct God in three distinct persons. And again, it's important that we define terms. We believe in God, the Godhead, Romans chapter 1, we just took a look at it, says that God has clearly shown us the Godhead. The Godhead exists in God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are one God. And again, we might use words like Trinity to describe God. Fun fact, the word Trinity is never found in the Bible anywhere. It's just a word that we use to, to explain three and one. We might use the word triune. Again, not a Bible word, but explains that three exist in one in unity together. But what we do not believe is we do not believe that there are three separate gods that we worship separately. One God, three distinct persons. And each one of those is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a, a, a smoke that comes over a cloud. It's not a feeling or something like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now again, false views even of the Trinity. Uh, we don't have this in our notes here tonight, but again, a false view of the Trinity that's uh, become popular, especially in the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or so. Is referred to as modalism. If you want to go down the rabbit hole and study that one out, you can. It's the idea that God exists in three distinct modes. That God is a shapeshifter that changes into whatever mode he needs to be in at the time. And, and you might think, well, that, that sounds like a crazy non-Christian idea. It's actually very popular in what's referred to as oneness Pentecostalism. And so if you've ever heard of Bishop T.D. Jakes, he's a famous modalist and oneness Pentecostal. Again, heresy, the idea that there is not uh, a God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that they are all three equally God, yet we, we worship one God. Any, any view of that is heretical. Uh, and again, I would go so far as to say those people are not Christians. Because if God the Father could not send God the Son, he merely shape-shifted and changed into God the Son, then there was no God the Father in heaven while God the Son was here on earth. That just logically doesn't even make sense. And I don't know how you explain the baptism of Christ when you see God the Father say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, God the Son who's being baptized, and then the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. How do you explain that all three people are in one place at the same time? Because they're separate, distinct persons. But we're not polytheistic. Polytheistic is the idea that there's more than one God. I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live. Uh, we were in California one time, and uh, I was on outreach, and I went by, and some guy was working on his motorcycle in the garage, and I stopped by and said, hey, man, tell me about your bike, and we began talking about his motorcycle and stuff like that, and I gave him an invitation to church, and he goes, oh, no, uh, I don't go to church. I got my own religion. I said, man, what's your religion? I love to hear about other people's religion, and he says, I'm Nordic. Okay, tell me about that. I've never met anybody Nordic before. Oh, it goes back to, to my ancestry, you know, and I, I go back to, you know, the Viking days and all this other stuff. I said, man, that's exciting. Tell me more. And he goes, well, you know, uh, there's the god Odin. And I go, don't tell me. Does he have a son? And he goes, see, I knew, that's why I don't even bring this up with people like you. I go, no, seriously. I go, does he have a son that has a hammer? And he goes, I knew. Okay, okay, I'm not trying to be funny anymore. Seriously, tell me about this. And again, he went through uh, God of Thunder, Thor, uh, God Odin, and began to name off all these different Nordic gods. And I go, you, like, I get it that this is fascinating, it's interesting to, to read about, but like, that's really your belief structure that you have? Yeah, it is. And he went on some big, long story about there's not a heaven, there's more of a, like a Valhalla or something like that. It's just like, whoa, man. One and only time I've met anybody in my life that really believed in Nordic gods. But he did. Fascinating stuff. 100% wrong, but fascinating. 
But again, we even take a look into to world history at the Greek mythology. And they begin to look at their different god structures that they had and things along those lines. You take a look at the Egyptians with their multiple gods that they had that they worshipped that controlled certain things. We even take a look at Native Americans and their, uh, their uh, desire for a rain god and a sun god and different types of deities that they would have. Hinduism would be another uh, religion that would be polytheistic. Polytheistic, basically, again, multiple gods. And most Hindus that you meet would not have a problem with Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to call him God? That's fine. We've got a bunch of gods that we believe in. And they believe in a, a, a broad universal God spirit, a broad universal divine spirit, what they call Brahman. And Brahman basically encapsulates all these other gods so that everybody is, can hey, we can all worship together, and we can all have one God that we, we worship. And so that would be Hinduism, but it basically boils down to pantheism, the, the belief in multiple gods as well. Some of, the, some of these you look at, and you go, wow, totally not Christian, 100%. That just doesn't even make sense. Agreed. Now we get into some that hit a little bit closer to home that you might could, could, could put in the Christian category if you're trying to split them up into different groups. And the next one is referred to as deism. Deism is the idea that there is a God who basically created the world but does not sustain it and is not involved in the day-to-day operations of it. That God kind of created everything in six days and then he kind of stepped back and kind of just watching everything uh, run. And just sits back and, you know, if things are going well, he enjoys it like entertainment. If things are going poorly, he just enjoys it and just sits back and while the entire creation that he made uh, falls into chaos. And so a deist view of God basically means that God created everything, but he is wholly uninterested and uninvolved in what takes place. He just kind of created it and kind of stepped back. And some people who would even call themselves Christians would take a deist view uh, of God, 100% wrong, because again, we know that God is intimately involved in our day-to-day operations. And again, you cannot hold the deist view of God and believe the Bible at the same time. You just can't. If the Bible says that there's not a bird that falls from the sky that your father doesn't know about, then he has to be involved in the bird's life and your life at the same time. If every hair on your head is numbered, then God is intimately involved in your life and knows more about you than you know about you. Or he doesn't. But you can't have both. You cannot be a deist and be a Bible-believing Christian at the same time because the views of God are incompatible with one another. The other one is the idea of open theism. Again, this would adopt a view that there is a God, but the view in the nature of God that rejects classical attributes like omniscience or immutability in favor of positing God, a God who learns, adapts, takes risks, and modifies his plans in response to human action. Now think about that. God up in heaven has created everything, but he doesn't know what comes next. And he's like, Oh, Anthony stepped out in front of a bus. I totally didn't see that coming. What am I going to do with his wife and kids now? Wow, I didn't think about that. And God changes and adapts. God calls the children of Israel, but then they rebel against him. And God's like, what? what? What's going on here? I created the people unto myself, and now they've rebelled against me. What will I do now? I've created Adam and Eve. They, they were supposed to be perfect, and now they sinned against me. What should I do? Maybe I should... Maybe I should send my son, and maybe he can redeem them, maybe. Maybe I'll just send my son to all of mankind so that all of mankind can be redeemed and not just the Jews. I'm not really sure, but I guess I'll figure it out as we go. And it's the idea that God is just sitting up in heaven, kind of scratching his head, like wondering what comes next. Like, wow, this is fascinating. I never thought about this. And again, that flies 100% in the face of the idea of the sovereignty of God. That before the worlds began, God had a plan that stretched from eternity past to eternity future. One person said it this way, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? That God is never surprised by anything. And again, that's something that should bring you and I great comfort. And the fact that whatever you got going on this week, God already knows and he's already got a plan for you to work your way through it. That brings comfort. But can you imagine having a view of God that like, Man, I have no idea how this situation works out. And God's like, yeah, me neither. It's going to be fun, though, isn't it? What? The idea of having a God that doesn't even know what he's doing, that hasn't figured it all out yet, 
Again, there's no hope found in that type of God. Again, God's foreknowledge is limited in the idea of open theism. His foreknowledge is limited by the uncertainties inherent in creating humanity with truly free will, where even he does not know what free human agents will do. Wow, that took me by surprise. Didn't see that one coming. I guess we'll have to figure this one out. Again, and here's a crazy thought. We look at that and go, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's garbage. How could anybody believe that? We believe in the sovereignty of God. Amen. That's good, preacher. Come on. How many times have you and I come to something and we go, does God even know what he's doing here? Like, why would this happen? God, what are you doing up there? I had this whole thing planned out from beginning to end, and you just went and messed up everything. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that before. You know what that is? That's a view of God, that God doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just trying to figure it out as he goes too. That he doesn't really have a plan for what's happening. He's just kind of making it up as he goes. And while you and I would never say that, sometimes we treat God that way. Well, God doesn't know what he's doing. God doesn't know about the mess that I'm in. You know, God couldn't get me through this if he wanted to. All those is not only a short-sighted view of God, but it actually adopts a, a wrong idea, mindset, and philosophy of who our God truly is. And so again, you look at all these crazy views. You look at, at Romans chapter 1 where people would deny the existence of God. And you realize, since the beginning of time, man has sought to develop a belief system that explains the world apart from God. Since the very beginning of time, man has been trying to figure out how to edge God out of creation. Well, how do we get all this? I'm not really sure. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, two rocks were traveling super fast in the universe and they hit each other and then it made all this stuff and they go, that's the answer that we were looking for. Of course it was to those two rocks. Nobody ever stops to ask, where did the two rocks come from? And again, I remember as a kid, when's God's birthday? Well, it's not December 25th, you know? Well, who are God's parents? God didn't have parents. Well, where did God come from? He always has been. For how long? Forever. Was there ever a time without God? No. What happened before there was a God? There was nothing. Oh, so there was nothing before there was a God? No, God always has been. There was nothing before God. Well, that just doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't. Because we have to go back to what does God's word says. And the word of God says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was already there. That there was never a time without God. And so if we reject Genesis 1-1, we got to come up with a plan on how this stuff exists without God. And so man has spent his entire life figuring out a way to get rid of God out of the equation. You take a look at the children of Israel. God leads them out of slavery in Egypt, the book of Exodus. Moses goes up, meets with God face to face, eyeball to eyeball. And the children of Israel start partying. And what did they build? Anybody want to help me? Golden calf. Anybody remember what they said about the golden calf? Anybody know? Just want to shout it out. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. All hail the golden calf. Wait, what? You just took everybody's jewelry and made this stupid thing, and now you're saying this is what brought you out of Egypt? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you come up with that? The only way that you can come up with that is to get rid of who God really is. You have to say there's another explanation for this. And here while Moses is up face-to-face -face with God, and God is writing out all of his rules, the children of Israel have tried to, to figure out a way already to get rid of God out of their story altogether. And that's why God continues to tell the children of Israel throughout all of the Old Testament, hey, set up rocks, and I want you to tell your kids about how God brought you out of Egypt, because otherwise they're going to find another way to explain how they have the freedom that they have today. Because man's heart has found a way to try to squeeze God out of everything. And you're like, that is terrible. Yeah. And none of us have ever gotten a promotion at work based on our hard work and dedication and we're the best one in the office, right? Nobody's ever done that before. We've always given God the glory for his sovereignty and his grace. And, you know, I don't deserve this. No, we beat our chest and we say, I got this job because I'm the hardest worker around. 
And if anybody's going to get ahead, it's going to be me because I can do this. <laughs> Here's the golden calf that brought us out of Egypt. You and I do the exact same thing. We wouldn't be bold enough many times to try to take God out of the equation, but we do it by the things that we say, by the way that we act. And so, again, every single belief structure in the world that's opposed to the Bible has to come up with a reason why we're here. The atheist has to say, we're here on this earth to have fun. We're here on this earth to enjoy life because this is all that there is. You got to come up with a reason why we're here without God. The evolutionist has to come up with an idea for a way that we existed and were created without God. And just know this, you and I weren't there the day that God spoke the world into existence. We weren't. And if you believe that God created the earth in six days, you believe it 100% by faith. And we would agree with that. Faith. I wasn't there. I believe it so because God said it. But be careful that someone doesn't try to say, well, I just trust the science. There is no science that proves that man evolved from, from any one-cell amoeba or a monkey or anything else. There's no proof of that anywhere. So you're not trusting science. You're trusting another theory, which is faith on your part. I have faith in God's word. You have faith on somebody else's belief system. Let's just agree that it's both by faith. Because you can't prove it. And frankly, I can't either. Now again, is there evidence that shows that God created things the way that he did? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it comes down to a faith system. And I choose to believe what I believe by looping God into my belief structure. You choose to, to create a belief structure that edges God out. But you got to come up with some explanation for how things are the way that they are. Because it didn't just happen by accident. And since the beginning of time, man has tried to come up with a way that we can get God out of this, or there's whatever belief structure in the world. But you know in the depths of your heart every human being, that you are not here by accident, that somebody created you, there's something bigger than you at work in this world, and if you don't believe that, you got to make up a story that gets rid of God. Because here's the problem with God, is that if we truly believe that there is a God, you're on the hook to obey Him. If one were to relent and say, okay, fine, there is a God, Okay, now you got to obey him. To admit that there is a God, get this statement. To admit that there is a God is to admit that you have a liability and accountability. Get that. If there is a God, then his word is true. He expects something from me. I have wronged him, and I have to make it right. It's a whole lot easier to say that it's just a bunch of made-up fairy tales because then I'm not accountable to anything. I'm not accountable to Aesop's fables. I'm not accountable to the Bernstein Bears books that I read my kids at night. I don't, I, those hold no accountability in my life. I don't have to follow those if it's just fables and made-up stories. But if this is the Word of God, you and I are held liable to this and will be judged according to this book. And that's heavy, folks. Heavy. So, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Which one? Which God do you believe in? Oh, there's only one God. Is there? Is it true? Or do you believe in Allah? I, I grew up in Kentucky. I, I never met a Muslim in my entire life until I joined the military, ever. I, I just thought that it was something that was only in the Middle East. But the things that I would hear on TV, the internet wasn't big when I was in high school. There was AOL dial-up. It would take forever to get questions answered. And so what I heard on TV was Allah and God are the same person. They just call them by different names. Allah is the Arab name for Jehovah God of the Bible. They're just the same. And again, we worship that God differently, but it's the same God. Is it? According to the Quran, Allah has no children. Well, that's not my God then. Maybe the uh, Mormons would say that Jesus Christ is the half-brother of Satan. 
that's not my God then. Different God altogether. Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus Christ wasn't God. He's actually another God. Ain't my God. My God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so either it's that God or it's a different God. So if you say you believe in God, it's not some higher power. It's not some force out there in the universe somewhere. And let me help you with something too tonight. Re you should, as a Bible-believing Christian, respect the reverence of God and not call him the old man upstairs. Call him God the Father. Show some respect. Jesus Christ is not, JC is my homeboy. He's the Messiah, Son of God, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world for my sin and yours. Put a little bit of respect on his name. He deserves it. So when it comes to talking about, well, I believe in God, yeah, everybody does. What God do you believe in? The only acceptable answer for that is the God of the Bible. The only acceptable answer for what God do you believe in? The God of the Bible. And if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you don't believe in God. In the depths of your soul, you might know that there's something else out there, but it's, it's God the Father drawing you to himself by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, again, James says, you want to say that you believe in God? Good for you. Everybody does. Again, you want to say water's wet? Congratulations. Everybody knows that. Even the devils believe and tremble. So what does it mean to have true faith? First of all, you have to believe that you have sinned against a holy God. I recognize that Jehovah God of the Bible expects something from me, and I have fallen short. Not once or twice, but my entire life I've fallen short. And I continue to fall short day after day after day when I try to do things my own way. And I am indebted to a holy God, and I stand before him guilty. Next, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only possible payment for your sin. I must believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Not I can be good enough. I can do enough good stuff. Again, James has already told us in James chapter 2, if any man offended in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. You might as well have done every sin against God that you could possibly do because you stand guilty before God. There's nothing that you can do on your own to get yourself out of the mess that you find yourself in. There's not enough good works. There's not enough religious things that you can do. There's not enough water in the world to wash away your sins. And that's why we need to understand when talking with people, and we say, hey, has there been a time in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior? And they say, well, I got baptized when I was in high school. We need to pause for just a second and say, what does that mean to you? Because sometimes people say, oh, that's the day that my sins were washed away. <laughs> no, it was not. Because there's not enough water in the world to wash away your sins. Sometimes we baptize at Alamona Beach Park. You might come out with more than you went in with, okay? <laughs> Just saying. Not enough water in the world. And again, let me tell you this. Ain't no such thing as holy water, right? Ain't no holy water. And to think that, it's funny one time we, not funny, interesting. I'll use a better word. We were in Sedona, Arizona, and Sedona is a hotbed of godless paganism. But it's one of the most beautiful places that God ever created on planet Earth. It's beautiful there. And if you can get around all the nonsense and paganism and stuff like that, it's a beautiful place to visit. And we went up to, to this, I forget what it's called, like the Cathedral of the Rock or something like that. Basically, it has a really good lookout from, the, from a window up there. And it's a, it's a Catholic cathedral, and you go in there, and, and again, we didn't walk in and do any of the nonsense. Or they're like, oh, you know, go over here with the Holy, not just, we just want to look out the window, that's all. But it, it was interesting to me that underneath the, uh, the place where you, the holy water is, you know, the curtain was a little bit open uh, at the bottom, and you saw a, a liter and a half jug of Dasani there. <laughs> like, Dasani, really? Like, of, of all the bottled waters that you could call holy, you're going to call Dasani? Like, could it at least be Evian or Fiji or something like that? Like, get like the cool, like, Circle bottles from like Costco or T Target or something like that. Get something cool. Dasani, really? 
<laughs> the idea is sometimes you take a bottle of water and pour it in there and saying some words over it and calling it holy. Like, what? That has nothing to do with the message tonight. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> but again, the idea that we can find a way, again, to heaven without Jesus Christ is the same problem, right? I want to find a way of salvation that excludes Christ because I don't want to be liable to him. Maybe I'll just be good enough. Maybe I'll try to do better. Maybe I'll try to stop sinning. Maybe I could get dunked in water somewhere and my sins would go away. It doesn't work that way. You're accountable to God and now you must do things his way. And so you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only payment for your sin. Next, you have to call out to God in faith and repentance to save you and deliver you from your sin. Again, not just, I believe there's a God. I'm considered a Christian because I believe in a higher power. No, no, no. If you want to be saved... You have to agree with God about your condition. You have to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. It's called repentance. It's the only way that you can be saved. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I realize I've transgressed your law. I'm in great need of your forgiveness. And I turn to Jesus and turn from my sin to save me. You must be born again. And the only way that you can be born again is by the Spirit of God, by faith and repentance. The only way. Finally, you have to trust the grace of God alone. It's interesting, sometimes people want to, well, I'm going to confess my sin to Jesus and repent, and then I need to get baptized to, quote, seal the deal. No, no, you've just added works to the grace of God. And you have annulled the grace of God by adding your works to it. You must tra- trust in the grace of God alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 11, if it's of grace, it's no longer works. If it's of works, it's no longer grace. The two are incompatible. And the moment that you add a work to your salvation, it's no longer salvation. The grace of God and the grace of God alone. So, well, I, I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Great start, but you're not done yet. And James comes down to this final thought tonight. If you are truly saved, your life and the life of those around you will change. Guaranteed. James goes so far as to say, hey, I'm really interested how you live out your faith without works. Show me that. And I'll show you my faith by my works. Because if faith without works is dead. It doesn't do anything for anybody. But if you have really been saved by the Spirit of God and changed into a new being, things are going to be different. The Holy Spirit will change you from the inside out if you'll allow Him. But what you cannot do is you cannot stay the same. I hope tonight was helpful as you share your faith with other people because I know you're going to share your faith. And you hear people say, like, well, you know, I just kind of believe that God's in everything. Hmm, got it. Well, I don't really know if we can know that there is a God. Hmm, got it. Well, I believe that God's just kind of revealed himself to everybody through everything. Yeah, general revelation, but that's not the end of it. Well, how can we really know that we're going to heaven? First hmm. John 5, 7. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Yeah, but I know, but how do we find that? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 1. God has spoken in the past by prophets, but he's spoken to us now through his son. And you know what his son says? John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. That's it. That's the answer for you. And so again, I hope this helps us to crystallize in our minds the idea that just because somebody believes in God, that's not enough. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's share Jesus more. And again, I ask people, hey, if you die today, are you sure you're going to heaven? Yeah, absolutely. How do you know for sure? There is one acceptable answer and one acceptable answer only. Because Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins and he is my Lord and Savior. Amen. So I hope tonight was helpful for you. Again, I don't want you to take the information that we have tonight and use it to get into a fight over the Christmas table with family or to post something ugly on Facebook or anything like that. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. I want you to be a discerning Christian so that you can share Jesus more, so that you can have compassion on people. And here's the thing. 
these people that believe these false views of God, please understand this, they're not our enemies. You know what the Bible says? Trey and I were just talking about this tonight right before church. The God of this world has blinded them so that they couldn't see the truth if they wanted to. Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. He has been from the very beginning. And an atheist, they're not my enemy. An agnostic is not my enemy. Someone who has a false view of God, they're not my enemy. They're a soul that Jesus Christ died for, that I'm to have compassion upon, to love and to pray for, and to lead to the truth. Let's have a heart of compassion with folks that don't know Jesus. Let's live like legitimate Christians this week with a faith that is not dead but alive. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.